Well, you can take your Bibles if you would. You can turn to Matthew chapter 9 today. We're going to look at just a few verses, and you're going to get out early. Not real early. And I don't know that you actually will. Sometimes I don't know when to stop. But on paper, it looks early. You know, as I thought about what I wanted to preach today, you know, the logical conclusion would be to preach on something that would exhort you, encourage you, of course, at the same time, help you into next year. Kind of what I talked about in the welcome time of looking backwards a little bit, but not focusing there, but looking forward to what God is going to do. And that is kind of what I'm going to do. But... I want to take just a little different slant. In August of 1980, um, Jesus saved me. Amen to that. You don't know what I was, yeah. Praise the Lord. I gave my life to Christ uh, August 17, 1980. And up until that time, and to be honest with you, the next six or seven years, the only thing that I knew, ironically, the church that that I was saved in and baptized there was called Good Hope Baptist Church, which is a little bit ironic. Good Hope Baptist Church was all that I knew. I graduated high school, I graduated college, and got married, and until I actually um, surrendered to the ministry and went to seminary, I'd gone to probably no more than five churches in my life. Um, you know, going to college, I was three hours away from home. I had to have a, 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 a church there. I got married. We moved to Nashville, Tennessee. We, we got a church there. We moved back to uh, my hometown to work with my dad. And I got back in a church there, but not Good Hope, but another church that was closer to our home. And so up to that point, I think it's actually five. I went to two while I was in college. Five different churches. But the thing that I can tell you is, is that though the cultures may have been different, because they were in all the churches. Most of them were in the South, obviously. But each church was a different kind of church. It had a different kind of government. There were different people. There was a different thinking. You can tell what had been taught and what people were really into. But the one thing that I noticed, they really weren't that different. Even, even when I uh, uh, was called into, to, called into ministry and went to seminary, since then, since that time, I've served in three different churches. One in uh, Tennessee, one in Florida, and one here. And those are way three different cultures, trust me. But you know the truth is? They're the same. In a lot of ways. You know, one of the things that's difficult for us in churches is to keep, our, is to keep focus. To keep the main thing the main thing. Like seeing people come to Christ, maturing in our faith, we kind of lose sight of that. I mean, listen, we lose sight so much that not only do we lose sight of our own spiritual growth, we are hardly ever thinking about the spiritual growth of others. And can I tell you, from the time that I was, well, nine months before I was born at Good Hope (laughs) until today, I still see this. It's like inherent. And as I look at the scripture, what I'm seeing even here in Matthew chapter 9 is I see this same thing occurring. We get caught up. We get busy. There are things that we do. There are emotions that we go through. 
And we lose focus, we lose sight. And so today, you're not going to have any PowerPoint. Some of you won't care. Some of you are going to be really, really mad at me. So you're going to have to listen closer today. But today, the title of the message is From God's Perspective. More than two years ago, if you were here, uh, actually in November, it was when I first came to Hope on staff here. Pastor Vance actually preached a message called Blind Spot. Do you guys remember that message? Message we call Blind Spot? The message was basically about us not connecting people. I mean, here's the deal. Either first through salvation or when you get here, where do I serve? Where do I, what small group do I go to? Where does it, and, and, and we're still struggling with that a little bit. Not like we were, I don't think, but that's what the message was on. It was an awesome message. And what he encouraged us to do that day was for us to see people, do you remember this? Like Jesus sees people. To, not just to notice them, like to notice what kind of clothing they have on or, or to notice how they speak or what they say, but to really see people. Like see people past any facade, any outward covering but to see them. It was a great message. Do you remember that? Man, I do. I went back and I watched it this week. What an awesome message. And, 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 and we knew that we had a blind spot. We knew that we weren't seeing people like Jesus saw people. And so today, before we get into 2013, I want to talk a little bit about that, but I want to take a little bit different angle on these verses. So let's go ahead and read them together. Matthew chapter 9. Verse 35 to, verses 35 to 38. And I do apologize. They're not going to be on the screen. But I promise you I won't lie if you don't have a Bible with you today. Okay? <clears throat> Verse 35 says, And Jesus was going about all the cities and villages and teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every kind of disease and every kind of sickness. Listen to this. And seeing... There's that word Pastor Vance used a couple years ago. Seeing the multitudes, he felt compassion for them because they were distressed and downcast, dispirited in other versions, weary maybe in other versions, thrown down like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Therefore, beseech, beg, ask the Lord of the harvest to send out workers into his harvest. In this passage, Matthew wrote that Jesus was moved with compassion for the crowds. For why? They were distressed and dispirited. They were downcast. They were helpless. They were weary. When he, listen, here's the picture. Jesus was busy, busier than us. Busier than you, busier than me. The Bible says he was teaching, he was preaching, he was healing. I mean, he was doing his thing, you know what I mean? I mean, he was doing it. He was doing what he was called to do, who he was called to be. He was on it. But isn't it something that he, what he did was he stopped. He actually saw them. And when he saw them, The Bible says that he had compassion on them. Now, we're all messed up on what compassion means, right? To us, compassion means pity. To us, and and it does, 
mean that a little bit, but it, it, it's, it goes farther than that. To us, compassion means that we feel sorry for someone, that we hate the condition they are in. But it's more than that. The Bible says that Jesus felt compassion for them. And when we look at this passage, we have a tendency, because these four verses actually go together, okay? If you have a Bible that kind of shows you that, you can see that if it's by paragraphs. But these four verses are a, are, are, are a one-thought paragraph. And we look at it, we pick out a couple of things. It's really easy for us to see the first thing that I said. Jesus had compassion for the people. And you're like, well, of course he did. He was Jesus, right? Jesus, not to have compassion, that would just be weird. Not that we think that him coming out of us, when we don't have compassion, isn't weird. But anyway, Jesus, not to have compassion. This word, it, it literally means to have pity, but to, to have pity that is filled with tenderness, Pity that looks at someone, compassion that looks at someone and just doesn't stop there. Pastor Neil Creasy said it like this, and I'm going to quote him. This is probably the first time you've been quoted in our services. So bank on this one, Neil. <laughs> compassion without action is emotion. Emotion with action, that's real compassion. You see, when Jesus saw them, he didn't just see them for people. He saw that they were hurting, that they were weary, that they were distressed, that they were dispirited, that they were downcast, that they had a problem that should be fixed and could be fixed. But Jesus here, all this compassion was built up over time. The tense that, that this verb is used in tells us this. That over time, as he looked and looked and looked, Jesus wasn't trying to feel compassion. He already had it. He was in the middle of it. He was watching it. And he was wanting, he was desiring that something be done about that. And we go, yes, Jesus had compassion. In these verses, that's my favorite part. The compassion of Jesus. That's easy to see. And it's real. The second thing that we see in these verses that we see immediately is the reason Jesus had compassion on the people. Two reasons. Well, the two adjectives that are used to describe the compassion which Jesus had. These two are this, distressed and dispirited. Distressed and dispirited. When we see these verses, we say, Jesus had compassion. And the reason, now listen, listen you got to stay with this, okay? Because it's about to get good. The reason that he had compassion is because they were weary and scattered, uh, distressed, dispirited, helpless. And we go, yeah, of course, that's what it says. I see that. That's easy for me to see. This work, can somebody get me some water? I know that's weird, but I am like a cotton mouth up here. <laughs> Pastor Vance would never say that. Don't tell him I did, all right? Oh, look at you, from the crowd. <laughs> Distressed. Listen to this. This word comes from a word that has to do with the flaying of skin, especially from what they, they used to write on the papri. 
It is ironic that this word is used here because, that all, because he was about to refer to them as sheep or the, 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 the shearing of sheep. He says these people were distressed. They were harassed. They were weary. They were worrisome. They were troubled. These people were, be- were bewildered by what they were taught. Listen. The way that this is written here gives us so much information. It's in the passive tense, and you've heard us talk about this a lot, but this this is a big deal to us. Because here's what the passive tense is, all right? Let me just go through the motions for you non-English scholars like me. Action says this, all right? I hit the ball. I created the action, right? I, 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 I had something to do with it. Passive says I didn't have anything to do with it. Something did it to me. Listen, do you see this? These people were weary, not because they had done anything, but because it had been done to them. That's big. They were weary, they were worrisome, they were troubled, they were distressed, not because of themselves, listen to me, but because of others. Do you know that, that, that that's us? Do you know that that's you? That that is for sure the 95% of our city who have no hope today. Who if Jesus were to come back, they would not go. We believe that, right? All right, just want to make sure. This is 9 o'clock service. Y'all better get with it. He's coming back. Do you know that the weary are weary? Listen, there's sin. Yeah, absolutely. But here's the deal. We got the gospel. We can tell them. We can live it. We can give it. We can share it. They are weary. These people weren't weary because they weren't being taught anything. Listen, they were weary because they were being taught, and God help us here, the wrong thing. Do you hear me? I'm sure you do. I yelled. (laughs) Not only was it in the passive tense, it was in the, excuse me, The passive voice, it was in the perfect tense. You know what that means? Finished, done, complete. These people weren't going to be weary. They weren't going to be distressed. They were. Do you know what I'm saying? Like they weren't getting there and they were progressing on to weary. No, no, no. They were already there. Like they were like this. They had played a nine-inning ball game and they were the catcher. They were tired, man. They were being taught the stuff, but it made them weary. Not only perfect and passive, but it was also a participle. Here's what that means. It just kept happening. It just kept going over and over, minute after minute, hour after hour, day after day after day after day. The same thing. They were weary. They were distressed. But not only were they weary and distressed, 
They were also dispirited. They were downcast. That was the second thing. This is a very interesting word. And by the way, this is exactly like the first word. Perfect, passive, participle. Just the same. All right? So everything I just said, say it on this one too. But this word means something different. Listen to this. This word means to be scattered, to help, to be helpless. Listen to this. Literally, to fall down or to lay flat. I was going to do that for you. I was actually going to lay, I actually thought about this, you know. Let me give them a perfect example of what this was. I was going to lay down. I was just afraid maybe I'd get hurt going down or maybe I couldn't get back up or somebody have to, you know. But think about it. Have you ever been so tired that when you got to where you were going, was the couch or the bed or maybe the floor? Man, you just laid out. Oh, cow gone. You know what I mean? Like, that's that word. Downcast. Again, they weren't going to be downcast. They weren't going to be dispirited. They were. They weren't going to lay down. They were laying down. This word is used a lot in ancient text to denote when someone gets shot fatally. They don't get up. To denote a, 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 a mortal wound or even drunkenness. When someone is so drunk, they can't stand up, they can't walk, they can't move, they're just laying. That's that word. They're out. There is no physical movement. There is not even a way to do it. And people say, you know, that's what I see here, Tom. I, I can so picture that. They were weary. They were distressed. They were helpless. They were downcast. I got that. Jesus' compassion, I got that. Dispirited and downcast, I got that. we usually miss the third thing. Like we see it, and to be honest with you, there's really that, not that much written about it in any commentary. As far as the Greek passage is concerned, there's hardly any kind of uh, 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 synopsis on it anywhere. But when I saw this about eight months ago, it knocked me off my feet. Because when I saw it, Here's what I saw. Jesus said, I'm having compassion on them. I have compassion for them because they are weary and scattered, because they are distressed and helpless, because they are worried and troubled, because they are downcast, because they are laying flat. They are tired. They are finished. They don't even know if they want to make it and live it anymore. It's not even worth it. This religion thing that I'm in, they said, it's too hard. And Jesus saw that, and here's what he said. I have compassion for them. But then he said this, and this is the thing we hardly ever see, that we hardly ever notice, that you'll read right by if you don't watch. Look what he said. Verse 36. The last five words. Like sheep without a shepherd. What was the reason for their weariness? Hey, what was the reason for Jesus' compassion? They were weary. They were downcast. But what was the reason for them being weary and downcast? 
Five words. Like sheep without a shepherd. Do you know why most of you get up and come back in here on Sundays? I mean, I hope this is true. (laughs) Now that I think through it. You like your shepherds. I think. If you don't, don't tell me. I love Pastor Vance. I love Pastor Jay and Pastor Neil and Pastor Travis, Pastor Scott, Pastor Teddy. I believe when I sit in the room with those men, they're going to help me. They're not going to tell me something to hurt me. They're not going to tell me an untruth. Man, I love coming to the services. And I go to all of them. Every week. I'm here, man. I know what they're going to be before I come, and I still come. (laughs) You know why? Because I need a shepherd. You need a shepherd. Do you know that we have a whole city full of people who have no good shepherd? And I'm not even talking about the ones in churches. I'm talking about the ones who have no shepherd. Feeding them, teaching them, leading them. You say, Tom, I get it, man, but (laughs) could you help me today to understand why this is the sermon? What? I am glad you ask. I believe with all my heart I'm looking at a room full of shepherds. That stunned you, didn't it? For some of you, it didn't. You're already there. You understand that your responsibility in the kingdom is bigger than just showing up, sitting on a pew. You understand that it's bigger than putting an offering in the offering plate, which, by the way, thank you. It's bigger than serving in the choir, which, which, by the way, thank you. It's bigger than being a small group, which, by the way, thank you. It's bigger than all those things that you are supposed, listen, and when I say you, I mean plural you, all of you. And I'll put me in there, us. We are all supposed to be shepherding. Do you know why? Because there's lots of sheep out there who are wandering around. And listen, they are grabbing. They, I did a little, uh, little study on sheep preparing for this message today. The dumbest animals out there. <laughs> I'm serious. I'm not just saying that. Uh, we didn't have sheep where I grew up, but we had a neighbor who did. And I always thought they were the dumbest. Now I know after doing a little study. Sheep don't know what to do. They don't know where to go. Listen, they don't even know what to eat. They are so gullible. They only go where the shepherd takes them. They always stay together. A sheep that runs off was always a goat and never a sheep. Just look like one. They will eat everything you put in front of them. Goats will too. But listen, this is how sheep are. They... They won't move to find the grass. You have to move them. 
Does that sound like us? If they get too much wool, if they get too much stuff on them, their legs are weak and they fall over. And listen to this, they cannot get up. I'm serious. Somebody has to pick them up to put them back on their legs. Does that sound like us? The reason for their weariness, the reason for their helplessness was exactly what I've been explaining. The people's condition was due mainly to lack of leadership. And can I say this today? Listen to this. Last weekend, do you have any idea how many people showed up at, our, at our, all, all four of our services? Could you guess? We wish. 3,000. 3,000. Today it looks like about 500, 550. So multiply this by six. 3,000 people. Can I just say this? Eight of us cannot shepherd 3,000. No shepherd has 3,000 sheep. He will quit. (laughs) He can't get enough food together, right? He can't wash them all. He would spend 24 hours a day healing wounds. You can be, should be, shepherds. The reason for the weariness, the reason for the helplessness, whether they are people who are already Christians, listen to me, or people who aren't Christians yet but that are going to be Christians. Let's just group them all in. Jesus didn't say only the sheep are only those people who are followers of mine or followers of the one true God. He called everybody sheep. He had compassion on the city Man, that's the way I see us. There were 3,000 here, but to be honest with you, there are 2 million. I know that's big. Eight people can't do 3,000. 3,000 can't do 2 million, but I do know this. We can each do what we're supposed to do. We can each take on exactly what God has given us. The fact was the Jewish leaders that were supposedly in their positions to teach and to feed and to lead, that wasn't at all what they were doing. The Bible says in Matthew that they were placing heavy burdens on the backs of the people. And that's kind of ironic because when Jesus came, here's what he said. I'm going to make your burden light. Come unto me, all who are weary. I don't give burdens. I take them off. Listen to me. Do you know the best way you can take the burden off? Share the gospel. I know there's other stuff. I know there's other problems. I know there are other things. But here's the deal. You can take all those things off and they will die and spend eternity separated from God. The Jewish leaders, they were giving to the people no spiritual pastor. They were never fed. The people were never giving living water to drink. Their wounds were never bound up. The leaders offered burdens. Jesus, though, lightened the load. They basically left the people to perish. And when Jesus looked at them, this is where it comes in, right? What are the leaders doing? And here's the deal. I'm looking at leaders. What are we doing? You are part of the solution. Is that why people here in Vegas are weary? And help us too. 
I, I think it is for us. And listen, I'm not, I'm not correcting or instructing. I'm exhorting us today. We can look at the compassion. We can look at the weariness. We can look at the, 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 the downcast state of our city. But here's the deal. Jesus said they wouldn't be like that if they had a leader. Does anybody hear me? Anybody in the room? It's bright up here. They need a leader. You say, Tom, I couldn't lead. There's nothing about me that can lead. I, have, I, I don't have the skill. I don't have the training. You have much more than you would ever imagine. Do you know that in the rest of the world, you'd be considered a spiritual expert? In our city, if you know the gospel, you are a spiritual expert. John MacArthur said this, and I'm going to take a little, my wife hates it when I do this, but a little rabbit trail, but I think it's important. Here's what John MacArthur said. Jesus ministered not only because it was his nature to have compassion. Because that's what people say. They say, well, it was Jesus, man. Jesus had compassion. It's harder for me because I'm not Jesus, right? But not only because it was his nature, but because the people had a great need. Listen to this. He also ministered to them because he knew there was a final judgment. John MacArthur goes on to say this, it's easy to lose awareness of the imminence and inevitability of God's judgment. But the Christian who loses sight of that judgment loses a major portion of the motive for witnessing. Have you lost that? There is a judgment coming. I know we don't like to talk about that. that oh, it makes me feel bad. I don't want to talk about that. Hell and all, that's, oof. But do you know that Jesus talked more about hell than he did heaven, right? You've heard that. You know why? Because he knew it was real. And can I tell you something today? Hell is real. You say, Tom, you trying to scare me? Yeah. If a house is on fire, I'm going to tell the people in it to get out. I'm not just going to keep jogging. Oh, sorry, getting in shape. <laughs> Some of the old Puritans said it like this. Man, these are, these are stout quotes, okay? So listen, listen closely. If you don't know what stout means, you have to, that's my Tennessee lingo. Thomas Watson wrote this. Listen to this. This is powerful. Thus it is in hell. They would die, but they cannot. The wicked shall always be dying, but never dead. On the same subject, George Whitfield wrote this. Great preacher. Here's what he wrote. Burning like a livid coal, not for an instant or a day, but millions and millions of ages, not years, ages, at the end of which people will realize that they are no closer to the end than when they began. Never, ever to be delivered 
from that place. You say, Tom, I don't like to talk about that. Me either. I have relatives who I'm afraid are in hell. I'm telling you, I don't like to think about it. But it's real. Say, Tom, this this tactic you're using. Jesus used it. Jesus said, here's the deal. They're weary, they're downcast, and the reason that they are, one reason. Nobody is leading them. We come in dressed up, we sit down, we sing the songs, we got the right stuff. We Listen, we're feeling good. Man, are you kidding me? I had my quiet time out of 365 days, 390. I had more than I needed to. I did some twice. I prayed. I invited my coworker for, uh, to, to a service. She gave her life to Christ. He gave his life to Christ. I'm telling you, everything's good. The bank account's looking good. Everything's good. What are you doing inside the church? Nothing. Nothing. I know Pastor Teddy wants some more people in the choir. It looks like enough people up there to me. You said we got 150 groups. We need more? Yeah, 150. More. Do you know, and listen, I don't know if um, Rich is here today. Is Rich here today? Because I, I didn't tell him I was going to say this. So I apologize, brother. I'll eat you lunch after this if this offends. Listen to this. Did you know in our church, every week, there are about 300 kids over there while we are over here? And did you know that kids are not going to be the church? They are. And they're not little people. They're people. That's new. And they're not burdens, right? They're blessings. Did you know? Listen to this. And Rich, listen, I'm apologizing a lot here because I didn't talk to you before. All right? And if you are a, a, a greeter, thank you. But did you know? There are five times as many greeters in our church as there are children's workers. That's not Rich's fault. He's just putting people where they want to be. Hey, and that's great for greeters. I love, listen, we need 250 greeters, right? But we need more than 50 children's workers. Yeah, somebody bring it. Now, if you're clapping, I want you at the information desk. Here's what I'm saying. Man, we're glad you're here. We want you to be here. If you've been through Discovering Hope, you know I've said this. If you are here at Hope as a member especially, we expect you to serve. We're not asking if you'd like to. If you got the time, that's part of holding the rope. So where are you? I know being with children is tough. I got five. 
that I live with. But do you know they're the fastest group to leave and never come back right out of high school? Because we've shown them how we care. The problem wasn't the people's lostness, even though obviously it's a problem. But that wasn't the main reason Jesus was sensitive to this and compassionate for them. When he saw the lack of leadership, it broke his heart because he knew they had the Torah. They had the first five books of the Bible. They knew the deal. All they had to do was get it to the people. Here's the deal. We not only have the Torah, the first five books of the Bible, we've got 66 books with some great, not just great history, but with some great truth to get to people. People here in our church to serve them. But listen, people outside our church, people who need the Lord. They were like sheep without a shepherd, Jesus said. And the thing that Jesus knew was that this problem was easily solved. That's the good part. That's what I love about this. Stan, this is what I love about this. It's easy solved, right? Give them a shepherd. Here's the thing that I, that I came up with. I'm gonna go through this really fast about sheep. Here are the characteristics of sheep. This is what a shepherd, this is why they need a shepherd. They're gullible, they're timid, they're fearful. They're easily panicked. Listen closely. Sheep are vulnerable to fear, frustrations, pests, and hunger. They're vulner, vulnerable to, stamp, to the stampede mentality, 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 to the mob psychology. Now, I want you, as we're thinking about sheep, that's us, right? So, so as I'm reading these things, they're easily influenced by their leader, even bad leaders. They have little or no means of self-defense. They're easily killed by their enemies. The shepherd is the most effective, calming influence in their lives. They are jealous and they compete for dominance inside the herd. That's totally unlike people there. They constantly need fresh water and food. Not the same old water. Not the stagnant. Their best water source is early morning dew. They're stubborn. They insist on their way even if it's detrimental to them. <laughs> they will eat poisonous plants and drink dirty water just because they want to but especially if it's put in front of them. They have very little discernment choosing food or water. They are easily flipped over on their backs and are, and, and are unable to right themselves. They will die of starvation if not turned over by the shepherd. They frequently look for easy places to rest. They hate being sheared or cleaned. Don't talk about hell. They need the most care of any livestock. Too much wool will cause a sheep to be easily flipped over on its back. They are creatures of habit and get into ruts easily. They need to be constantly moved and on the move. They need a predetermined plan. They're totally dependent on the shepherd for every need. And how about this one? They need the rod and the staff for guidance. When sheep have no shepherd, you know what happens to them? They become distressed, they become dispirited, they become weary. The bottom line is this, 
the multitudes had nobody to lead them. They had no one to feed them. These sheep needed someone to provide for them and to lead them in the truth. Steve Gladen, the small groups pastor down at Saddleback, here's what he said. He said, the heart of the Lord was broken when he saw the poor and leaderless condition of these people. And can I just say this to you? The same thing exists here at Hope. Where are you plugged in and serving? Where is it that God wants to use you? Can I say this? Our children's ministry, and I'm not even the children's pastor. Listen to me close. Is the most important ministry here. I'm the small groups guy. I didn't even say small groups. And I could have. The choir's awesome. Listen to me close. Children believe us. The least amount of workers in our church body is in the children's ministry. I hear stuff like this. You know, people say, well, we've already done that. My kids are all in their 30s. Well, it's not a prison sentence. My kids love, I'm convinced my kids love my parents more than they love me. Maybe not. Where are you serving? Where? Jesus tells them here at the end, look at verse 37 and I'll be done. He said, then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. In other words, the problem's not with the harvest, right? The problem is not that people won't give their lives to Christ, won't grow in their walk with Christ. The problem is we don't have the workers to help them to do that. He said this, therefore, beseech the Lord of the harvest to send out workers into his harvest. Here's some areas, okay? Let me just give you a couple areas. Small group leaders, community coordinators, preschool, elementary children's area leaders, uh, choir leaders, youth area leaders, parking lot attendants, dinner with the pastors, discovering hope coordinators, baptism coordinators, welcome callers, connection card, uh, follow-up for evangelism, and that's just the start. But all in an attempt to make sure that every sheep has a shepherd. All in an attempt to make sure that every person that is connected to us, whether they ever walk through this door or not, wherever you work, wherever you live, that every person that is connected under the influence of what we know is the gospel will have a shepherd. So here's what we're gonna do. This is gonna be a little odd, all right? We're actually gonna do verse 38 together. Therefore, beseech, Ask, beg, pray the Lord of the harvest to send out workers into his harvest. Now here's the irony with that. What we're about to do is we're going to have a time of prayer. I'm going to ask you to come to the, to the altars here, okay? I know Pastor Vance isn't here, but it's still an altar. Listen close. When you begin to pray, just know that you may be praying for you. Ask the Lord of the harvest to send out workers into his harvest field. Not because the harvest field, there's anything wrong with that. Listen, but because there's something wrong with us. And listen, I know how it is. We're busy, right? We got stuff on our plate. We're doing this, we're doing that. I got it, me too. 
But remember those quotes I read you about hell. It's real. Always dying, never dead. I want people to know him. I want people to come into a relationship with him so they can help people know him too. So what we're going to do, Teddy, if you guys, somebody will come and just play. I would like to ask you to, let's just come down here to the front and let's pray together and let's do, beseech the Lord to send out workers into the harvest and to realize that you may be praying for you. Because at the end of the service, what I'd like for you to do is go to the information table and pick up a yellow sheet and say, I want to serve somewhere. Maybe you're already serving. Maybe you want to serve somewhere else. Great, wonderful. Pick up a sheet for that too. There's lots of areas, not just here. Here's what I believe. We get this right, we can win that world. We can win this city. People are lost and dying. So as Pastor Teddy and the band today begins to play, here's what I want us to do. Let's all stand. I'd like for those of you who would to come and pray. You say, I'm already serving. Great, come pray. Pray that the Lord of the harvest would send out workers. And as we do that, I'll close this at the end, okay? So let's just come and pray together.